G'day and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast coming to you from Melbourne, Australia broadcast from the studios of 3CR your only radio left my name is Susanna Duffy in this episode consider moving inland Discover the winner of the 2023 Major Shonky Award and be horrified by the ARC Conference. That's the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. Think about some hope for community action after the referendum. Revisit the Kamaragunja walk-off. Remember Pastor Doug Nichols. And never forget those people who were incarcerated on Aboriginal reserves under the various protection boards of the Department of Native Affairs. 3CR I see that the Choice Shonky Awards are out for 2023. I like their Shonky Awards, where they uncover the worst products and services for the year. And it's actually the 18th annual Shonky Awards. So the Shonkies are now old enough to vote, but the only milestone they've made is another year of products, services and businesses that have left Australians frustrated, infuriated and out of pocket. The main Shonky Award goes to Woolworths and Coles for cashing in during a cost of living crisis. Rising rents, increased interest rates and a soaring cost of living has us all feeling the pinch. Except for Woolworths and Coles, who have posted massive profits. Woolworths were the worst, with the group announcing a $1.62 billion profit in August, in a year when Australians are really doing it tough. Over at Coles, it was just a slightly more modest $1.1 billion profit. But anecdotally, many shoppers feel as though they're paying more for less. You should subscribe to the magazine Choice, or you can read it online. It's really worth it. 3CR Well, if you live near the beach, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, aren't you? Up to 22 million Australians living on the coastline will be in danger this century after the latest studies showed that there's no coming back from an inevitable ice melt in West Antarctica, which will increase sea levels up to 5 metres and three times as fast as previously measured. It's particularly bad news for us in Australia where 87% of us live within 50 kilometres of the coast. Australia's coastal dwellers are triple the worldwide population. While Antarctica is not the only source of sea level rise, West Antarctica alone contains enough ice to raise that sea level by 5 metres. And once the threshold is crossed, then the loss of the West Antarctic ice sheet is unstoppable. There's no coming back from sea level rises anymore, even if we were to reach zero emission tomorrow. The damage is just too great, and it's happening much faster than experts thought it would be. 
We've lost control of the West Antarctic ice shelf. We will see a dramatic increase in the severity and frequency of coastal floods. Those once called 1 in 100 year events will happen more than once a year. The resulting coastal erosion from ongoing coastal calamities will quickly make Australia's affluent beachside properties a bad financial investment, as if that matters. Think of people, more vulnerable people in the Pacific and the people in Torres Strait. Australia bears a heavy responsibility for the ice melt when it comes to emissions per person. We have the highest per capita greenhouse gas emissions in the world. And emissions from our exported fossil fuels are larger than emissions here in Australia. The most important thing that we can do right now to mitigate sea level rise, we can't stop it, we can try and mitigate it, is to stop immediately the development of all fossil exploration and mining. We have more than enough fossil fuels to complete the transfer to renewable energy and it's extremely urgent to act now. Every day of delay means higher sea levels and faster rates of sea level rise. And the, the human cost of that would be enormous. How are we going to deal with the displacement of millions of people? More than a billion people, depending on the amount of sea level rise. Hi neighbour, nice day but might rain ya. And by the way, climate change makes a great icebreaker. Hope you don't mind if I say what's on my mind lately. You do? Well, I hate being the guy to break it to you. But humankind ain't advice takers by nature. We're stuck to our ways like stubborn bugs to flypaper. Rising tides aren't quite so high when spied from skyscrapers. So we'll keep making money now and decide how to survive later. We'd be fine if primates would have migrated to be mind state. But where do we locate to when you can't find a dry acre? It's so polluted though that you've no hope to hydrate here. Entire states lie in waste. The change is night and day. This type of failure's kind of major. But hey, that's the price we pay for infinite growth inside a finite place. Isn't it gross? Revenue became our entire life's pain Looks like the only way we'll learn to change our ways is via pain When the levee breaks through, then it's fairly late To regret every mistake you may have ever made Come hell or high water, we better make a change Why I water? Well, but then again Heavy rain, ever so heavy rain Funny how the flood is spreading as if it's a flame In the heavy rain, ever so heavy rain See, never will the sea level ever be the same I remember civilization started to creak at the seams It seemed increasingly frequent to see the freakiest scenes Streets full of people ceased to be peaceful There was bleeding and screams As they received beatings from eager police for breaching the peace Here we see freedom and free fall I mean, is there even a need for thieving to eat? Or is it merely more evil and greed? We've all ignored the awkward things that we've seen on our feet But now they're written and you flood the tears So read them and weep See the double meaning to weaving it deep But in the demons and beasts We can leave them deceased We don't need them now That even now our seasons have ceased At least seasonal depression has no reason to be But now the seas at our feet We're feeling weak at the knees It's either gills or survival skills We'll need just to breathe It's getting wetter and we better do better But if there's one thing to bring people together It's immediate pressure It's such a deep dilemma For the complete beginner How did the double piece become a piece of meat for dinner? Just pull off the beak and feathers Now come on let's eat together roasted over open flames so the taste is even better seven deadly sins and in several deadly plays yet never did we know as our co-architect the end of days everything we've ever made buried under waves guess they're sending us a genesis to get our penance paid heavy rain ever so heavy rain every day we wait and we play a deadly game heavy rain ever 
Never so heavy rain We better have a game plan better than merely praying Why do we need to pick between unity and liberty? If it seems whatever team you tickle lead to misery To disbelieve truth is easy if you choose to disagree No pictures of its pitfalls litter all of human history Old world sink beneath the new at least initially Till it repeats and it repeats and it Jeez, look overhead The sun's corona's thrown a solar flare The comms are blown up dust There's no numbers to phone repair So prepare for hold up all the bumpy road ahead And shadows that are so intense You won't detect a polar bear All progress frozen for a moment there So unfair Au contraire, no mon frère There's hope, don't despair Let's set the record straight You get a mace with face of pepper spray We're set to face This is the day for which the preppers pray Unless they face the lesson That the desolation's there to stay It ain't a getaway or lazy daydream On a bed of hay Best not get up late, we're set in our ascetic ways And when there isn't an ascetic, antiseptic sector states Interest in your intestines with a kiss to take your breath away So let's assess the question, eh? Maybe there's a better way Heavy rain, ever so heavy rain Funny how the flood is spreading as if it's a flame In the heavy rain, ever so heavy rain See, never will the sea level ever be the same Seven deadly sins and in several deadly plays Yeah, never did we know as our co-architect the end of days Everything we've ever made buried under waves Cause they're sending us a genesis to get our penance paid We gather round the campfire now How to even start this? We're running out of gaslight But carry on regardless Funny how we'll only see it now We're in the darkness Salaries and spies flip the tragedy and hardship Our values fell after we sank the flooded markets And now we're bound to starve unless we gather in the harvest And that's the legacy we left the planetary carcass Now we're merely stardust Don't we bloody marvelous? You know it's nothing advanced You've so much blood in your hands These flows are blood in your lands Sunk your boat and scuppered your plans And only after the catastrophic event occurs You go, oh, so that's probably what I should have done To prevent it first We need a rebirth To appease earth I plead that you heed these words Each verse How did it mean to flood this beat with such a deep dirge But beneath the heat lurks a hunger that'll feed thirst I'll jump in feet first I want to see this earth reimbursed For each hurt that we deem to be worth Inflicting terror on our victim Terror should be being nursed But ever since we started living on it seems cursed We burn Tweet perched on the steep verge of a ravine Verdant leaves, fir trees, sweet birch and green ferns Then deny the fact the fires happen And despite the fact we see it burn Like, ah, there's been worse Can Lee Hurst We need to reverse the mentality of me first I'm telling you, humanity could either be a brief burst Or we could reach further than we'd even rehearsed A valiant crew that's gallant to the planet in which we serve Heavy rain, ever so heavy rain Every day we wait and we play a deadly game Heavy rain, ever so heavy rain we better have a game plan better than merely praying When the levy breaks through, then it's fairly late To regret every mistake you may have ever made Come hell or high water, we better make a change Why I water? Well, but then again There was a bright conference held by ARC just recently ARC is the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Sound nice? Well, you don't want to be part of it, believe me. It was founded by Jordan Peterson, as a member of the British House of Lords and a Conservative celebrity speaker, by Baroness Stroud and by former Australian Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson from the Nationals. It calls itself a catalyst for centre-right thought. How charming. An early adopter of this group is John Howard and he took advantage of this conference to talk about his doubts 
on multiculturalism. He has doubts. I remember John Howard in 1989 making a particularly nasty remark about a suburb of Melbourne. He said, Have you been to Chingvale lately? A disgusting thing to say. And just shows you the kind of brain that man has. An outstanding member of the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. Joining Howard were a couple of his good mates. Tony Abbott, Scott Morrison, Barnaby Joyce, Angus Taylor, Andrew Hastie, James Patterson and Dominic Perrottet. There was lots of laughter about woke capitalism and there was even a speech from Senator Jacinta Price. Sounds like one of the worst conferences ever. Doesn't it great, you blackboard? You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. More than 5 million Australians supported an Indigenous voice to Parliament in the referendum vote, a vision that evolved from years of patient community conversation and consensus building. So we have to navigate the grief after this result and look for seeds of hope. For those of us who've spent our lives trying to live a proper life, trying to be a good human being, trying to do right by others, well, trying to live like a socialist for heaven's sake. The voice represented much more than a symbolic gesture. A constitutionally enshrined voice to Parliament was an opportunity to reboot decades of decision-making structures. We agree that paternalistic policy-making has ultimately failed to meaningfully empower Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, and it has not improved lives. It was, and it still is, time for a fundamental shift. The movement for Yes in 2023 has been a living example of the public square at its most palpable. Kids, retirees, families, singles, migrants, health workers, unionists, lawyers, athletes, environmentalists, artists, all showed up in droves. We walked bridges, flooded community halls, coordinated beach picnics, phone booting parties, marathons, cross-cultural fireside yarns, local barbecues, kitchen table conversations and weekend market stalls. We were high on hope. We marvelled at the beauty of this seemingly new Australia, and when votes were finally counted on October the 14th, many of us clung to each other and wept in collective grief. As we reckoned with the meaning of the no result, and the inevitable debates on the role of politicking of the digital misinformation and the fear-mongering, some facts have emerged. There are over 5 million of us. We have new local connections and neighbourhood networks, and we've grown in recent months on a shared solidarity for First Nations justice. 
This is people power. And now we should harness that people power and look ahead to amplify the voices of our local First Nations communities and leaders. I reckon we've laid the foundations for a new collective power. Now it's time to sustain, to grow, and use this support towards a new pathway for justice. 3CR Let's talk about the Kamaragunja station and the walk-off. Let's have some truth-telling. Kamaragunja station was established in 1888 on the New South Wales side along the Murray River on Yorta Yorta Bangaran country. Kamaragunja became home to many Aboriginal people. Many of the residents had relocated there from Maloga Mission, which was about five kilometres away. Maloga was started by a missionary off his own bat. And after a while, many of the residents grew tired of the strict religious lifestyle and treatment. They petitioned the governor at the time to grant them land. And two years later, the land for Kamaragunja had been reserved Kamaragunja became a productive farm, producing wheat, wool and some dairy products. The residents led a lot of this work with the aim of self-sufficiency. However, in 1915, the New South Wales Aboriginal Protection Board gained more control over the station, disbanding its committees and confining the residents to more restrictive conditions. As a result of the change in management, Life at Kamaragunja changed drastically. Those who worked were given inadequate and unhealthy rations. Children were removed and forced into domestic work. Any funds raised from this work went straight to the Aboriginal Protection Board. By the 1930s, conditions had deteriorated and illnesses like tuberculosis were sweeping through the station. In 1939, the residents decided to take a stand and the first mass strike of Aboriginal people occurred. On the 4th of February in 1939, an estimated 200 residents of Kamaragunja Station walked off the station in a strike to protest the horrible living conditions and the government's control of the station which they, the residents, had set up. Most of the residents feared the current station manager, Arthur McQuiggan, and they called on former resident Uncle Jack Patton to return and help them. When he returned, he spoke to many of the residents, informing them of the government's plans to continue to remove their children, and he explained to them what their rights were. As he spoke, Uncle Jack Patton was arrested for inciting Aborigines and removed from the station. Following his arrest, the residents grabbed their belongings and walked off in a mass strike. They crossed the Murray River into Victoria, settling in towns like Barma, Ichuka and Marupna, while others continued down towards the city. As the first Indigenous mass protest in our history, the Kamaragunja walk-off inspired action across the country for years to come and ignited a movement that fought for the rights of the Indigenous community. Every year, families returned to the station to commemorate the walk-off, often walking a part of the trail together, 
as I reflect on its history. Let's reflect upon some indigenous history. The story of Kamarugunja is also the story of Pastor Doug Nichols. 1929 and the Great Depression has caused mass unemployment across the world. In Australia, it seems everyone is looking for work. The few jobs available are given to whites over blacks. Doug Nichols, a young black man, turns to the thing he does best to survive. He tries out for the Carlton Football Club, but the players are reluctant to have him on their team and the trainers won't rub him down because he has black skin. He doesn't let it get to him. He intends to play football to show he is the equal of any man. This is a story about Doug Nichols and a courageous group of people who refused to accept the place society had made for them. Doug was the first-born child at Kumragunja Aboriginal Reserve in 1906. Although his family is dirt poor, his childhood seems idyllic spent playing with his cousins, camping, fishing, and watching the steamers floating along the Murray River, which flows through his people's land, the Yorta Yorta. Across the nation, thousands of Aboriginal people are interned in small parcels of land called reserves. Operated by the government and overseen by white managers, the reserves are designed to protect but instead constrain the first Australians. Doug Nichols, like all other Aboriginal children, is a ward of the state, and the government only provides these children with education up to grade three. But at Kumragunja, the children receive an education outside of what the government provides. Thomas Shadrach James is an Oxford-educated Sri Lankan he teaches the children after school by candlelight at what he calls the scholar's hut. He gives Doug and his cousins the education that they would otherwise not have access to. By his example, he instills in them a conviction that a black person can be as good as any white. After leaving the reserve, Doug Nichols moves to Melbourne determined to be a star footballer. And it is not long until his prowess on the football field secures him a place on the Victorian state side. Each time Dad would go to Fitzroy or we would be with him, people just would come up to him and they just admired him so much because he was such a dignified person and he had such a lovely way with everyone 
black and white people. I remember, you know, children coming up and holding his hand and it was just so unbelievable to see this, how Dad had this, you know, affection towards people and how people drew towards him. One of Doug's biggest fans is his uncle, William Cooper. A retired shearer also from Kamraganja, he visits the Oval every Saturday to watch Doug train. William Cooper is collecting signatures for a petition to be sent to the King. It is the duty of every man and woman of Aboriginal blood in them over the age of 20 to sign the petition. And I hope my people will not fail to sign and help all they can that we might get improvement. William Cooper. He writes to the Aboriginal protection boards in each state, seeking permission for the Aboriginal people to sign. Queensland and Western Australia both say no. They're calling for better education for Aboriginal people. They're calling for some control over their land. So a lot of the program is this emphasis on citizenship rights, on equal rights. Despite the obstacles, he collects 2,000 signatures. It was a very long, hard campaign. And the 2,000 Aboriginal people who signed that petition were the people who were not afraid of the consequences. So there were many, many more people who might have thought about signing that petition, but couldn't be persuaded because they were in fear of what would happen to them. Cooper tries to enlist Doug to join his fledgling organisation. He hopes his football fame will publicise their activities, but Doug resists getting involved. His heart is in the game. I used to wish I could dodge Uncle William, but he stuck at me. It was William sticking at me and these stories that fired me. Doug Nichols. Doug has seen with his own eyes the conditions that Cooper campaigns against. He was eight years old when he saw his sister forcibly taken by police on behalf of the Aboriginal Protection Board. His mother throws herself into the car in protest, refusing to get out. The police dump her on the roadway, 20 kilometres from the reserve. She returns on foot and heartbroken. We lived in fear. And I seen it when I was a schoolboy, how they used to hide under that schoolhouse, waiting to see who was coming in fear that we might be taken next. Doug Nichols. Doug's sister is taken with other girls to Kudamundra and the boys are sent to Kinchula Boys' Home, some never to be seen again. They are trained as domestic servants to be sent to labour for white families. If they could walk, talk and work, they were sent into domestic service or taken to farms as labourers. Family after family lost their children in this way. Protection laws prevented them from moving away from supervised camps and supervised societies. So that meant living on a reserve or living 
under contract on a boss's land. William Cooper sends his petition in good faith to the government, but they shelve it and it is never sent to the king. I think there was almost no awareness at all of what was happening to these small Aboriginal populations incarcerated on Aboriginal reserves under the various protection boards or departments of Native Affairs. There was simply no understanding. The view out in the white population was that the Aborigines were being looked after. And there are plenty of people out there who still think that. Just have a look at the referendum. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you next week. Same time, same place. Until then, it's cheerio and ciao from Left After Breakfast. <laughs>